Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast, a series of discussions about American politics and the Trump presidency for the New Spectator USA website. I'm joined today by Caroline McCarthy, who is an advertising executive and a columnist for Spectator USA. And we're going to be discussing the Andrew Yang phenomenon. Now, Caroline, Andrew Yang is a, a very unusual presidential candidate. That uh, yes. On the Democratic side. Can you give us a little introduction to who he is, what his presidential campaign is all about, and what's going on with it? Sure. Um, so people people in the tech industry, myself included, first became familiar with Andrew Yang largely because he founded a nonprofit after selling his company. And that nonprofit is called Venture for America, which mm. takes the sort of the Teach for America model and applies it to the startup world by placing highly qualified and, and um, extremely ambitious college graduates into roles in startups in cities in America that could use revitalization. It's a it's a very well respected nonprofit in in the tech world and has has a lot of um, prominent people on its board and among its supporters. So that's sort of where 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 the industry found out about him in the first place. And then his uh, his run for president was. Um, he, he announced it after he had written a book um, that I believe is called The War on Normal People and is about the rise of automation and his belief that the way to prevent the job losses that he sees coming thanks to that wave of, of automation is by what he calls a freedom dividend, which is a $1,000 check written by the government every month to every American adult, which is uh, the more common term for that is universal basic income. And that has been um, universal basic income or UBI has been bubbling on the Internet as, you know, sort of a not I, I would say it's past a fringe political idea by this point, but certainly not a mainstream idea. But he really made it the centerpiece of his campaign. And then he also, you know, one of the complaints I've heard about a lot of the Democratic candidates um, for the presidency next year is that they've got, you know, big personalities, big followings, and nobody really knows what exactly they support and what sets them apart from the pack. Nobody is going to make that criticism of Andrew Yang because he is willing to take a position on just about everything and state that position on just about everything. Including, for instance, circumcision. Yes. He came out against childhood circumcision in, in an interview recently. He believes in making tax day a national holiday. He thinks that there should be a government fund to ensure the survival of local journalism. Uh, yes, is needs... one of his mottos making tax fun again or something? Yes, ma making taxes fun, which is why no. there's such irony. Not again, irony. not again, sorry. That's yeah, <laughs> no, I don't think taxes have ever been fun. They've um, never been fun before. Yeah, but, it, but, there's, but there's some real irony there in the fact that his his wave of, of digitally driven popularity most closely resembles that of, um, I, I would say, Ron Paul in 2008. And, and Ron Paul was famous, famously anti-tax. Yes. But I'm not sure Ron Paul would be terribly keen on a, a universal basic income. No, uh, no, absolutely not. Which is why one of the most fascinating things about Yang's candidacy and his, and his rise is the fact that you know, if you the, the hashtag that his followers use on Twitter is Yang Gang. And if you hashtag a tweet with Yang Gang, you will start getting responses from the Yang Gang. You, you find them on Reddit as well um, in great numbers. And a lot of them will say that they were Ron Paul supporters. And it's not a matter of necessarily being aligned on the issues, but that they that these um, former Ron Paul and current Andrew Yang supporters appreciate a diversion and from and an opposition to kind of politics as usual.
And, and as you put it in your excellent piece, which we, we published yesterday, it's a sort of combination of techies and hippies and yeah and, and who yeah. else yeah and and one of the one of the other interesting the parallels between the two is that is that ron paul was was the same way in that he he took a lot of positions on things that did not necessarily line up with an easy left right partisan divide he had a lot of supporters who maybe they didn't really care about his stance on taxes but his opposition to the war in iraq was what brought them in and you see yang exploiting the same kind of um advantage there in the fact that there are a lot of um, he's he's not afraid to like Ron Paul, he's not afraid to take positions that some of them may not be seen as sort of endemic to his side of the political spectrum. And as a result, he's able to get followers who perhaps are really passionate about a couple of the things that he supports to the extent that even if they disagree with some others, they can't find anybody who who shares that passion for, for what he does support. And so I think that the uh, sort of American political media largely underestimates the extent to which people are willing to support candidates with whom they are not perfectly aligned on everything. I mean, you, you look at the people who voted for Obama twice and then voted for Donald Trump. And I think that that's the sort of thing where an, an unorthodox candidate with a lot of stated positions that he is very sort of firmly decisive on could get an an unusual amount of support from a very diverse array of people. Yes. And there's also, I mean, a strong element of his support seems to be ironic support or, you know, what you might call sort of lol, nothing matters. Yeah. You know, I think that that's always a little bit of a facade because those are the people who are the loudest. And, And that's something where I think the political left has done itself a disservice by sometimes painting the the picture of the typical Trump supporter as being, you know, an alt-right edgelord who um, spends all his time on 4chan in his mom's basement. That is not the typical Trump supporter at all. And I think that the the people with with sort of that that ironic meme-driven attitude towards politics are pretty much, you know, if if they if they are the majority of Yang's support, he's not going to go anywhere. But I yeah. think that if they're just the noisiest ones in the room, then... Well, but certainly it seems the alt-right helped to kind of push him to 65,000 people signing a petition, which means he can now participate in the Democratic debates on TV. Right, so, that's 65,000 individual donors. I, would, I wouldn't call it the alt-right. I would, I would say that he, he definitely has an unusual amount of support from sort of disaffected centrists and like politically heterodox people. He, he was on Joe Rogan's podcast, which was huge in, in getting his, his name and his word out. Quillette magazine was writing about him long before the national media was paying attention. So I think that there's a, there's a sense in which he, he certainly appeals to people who are not necessarily aligned with him, but who appreciate his political heterodoxy. But I wouldn't I wouldn't say that the that the that the all right really had a role in getting him to that sixty five thousand donors. I think that that more likely a good digital operation. I mean, like I like I said, the people who are spreading the the most popular memes are are probably not representative of the typical supporter, but they are the they are the loudest ones and they often are the tech savviest ones. And it's the people who notice that. And then, it you know, it goes from you know, from Reddit to Politico and then to, you know, the New York Times. I reckon, and I'll concede that you know a lot more about tech than me, but I reckon you're underestimating the power of the memes here. With Yang. Yeah, well, it's it's not, I, I, I'm definitely not underestimating the power of the memes. It's just that the, the people who are creating and sharing them 
I wouldn't say that they are a majority of the people who are who are supporting the candidacy. I think that any any stable political candidacy has to be a lot deeper and a lot more analog than that. But I do think we're in a position where, I mean, the famously 2008 Ron Paul supporters would get on bridge overpasses and they would hang signs that say Google Ron Paul. You don't need to do that anymore because the infrastructure for spreading the messages that, you know, they they start in the form of memes. I think that's often the kind of the rawest communication currency um, when it comes to political ideas. But you know, ultimately it gets translated. There's a big piece about Andrew Yang in the New York Times today that's going to get read by people who, you know, they might look at one of the Yang gang memes and be like, like, what the heck is this? So, yeah. But it's not, and, and it's not just the alt-right, it's, it, it's also a thing that's going on on the left and even in the centre of, you know, sort of look who's president, the joke now, so yeah. why don't we have a candidate whose ideas seem crazy, right? Well, yeah. And, I, and I that's think, kind of I think that's a that is well yeah there's there's some apathy but there's also like and and i think that this could be what what potentially propels yang's candidacy is the fact that people didn't take trump's candidacy seriously and then he you know he won and i think yeah. that there are probably a lot of voters who trump's victory for them means that they're not going to necessarily vote for the person who looks like a winning candidate, they're they're potentially going to be like, well, you know, it all, you know, we're in an age where where all bets are off. I think that's one of the reasons why on the left you saw so many people winning congressional races last year who really didn't they they don't look like the the people who were who were in Congress before them. They don't have the backgrounds, and I think that that is the sort of thing where the 2016 presidential election, I think, shattered a lot of norms for a lot of people. And you're, and you're going to start, you're going to see more and more unorthodox candidates with unorthodox ideas winning races. Well, yes, but we're now getting to such an unusual thing. I mean, as of very recently, there's now a candidate who seems to be a, a sort of sock puppet candidate, Mike Gravel, am I pronouncing that right? Gravel, who's an 88 year old man who's candidacy it seemed to be run on twitter by two teenage boys who've got sort of tacit approval from him huh. to, oh that's to I, I i actually I, I really hadn't been following that one i know i he didn't he had he had an actual serious run for president like 25 30 years ago didn't he yes i think yeah. i think he did but he is now apparently running again but only tacitly through this twitter account which huh. is not his yeah which it sort of adds to the fact that there's this sort of energy around yeah you know a joke rather yeah. than Serious politics. I'm not saying well, you have was, to be serious all the time, but there was that there was that poll in 2016 where some percentage of the vote in in some state, a joke candidate named D's Nuts managed to get his way in there. Oh yeah. Well, this is the whole. Uh, I mean, in Britain we had it where Jedi is now a religion oh, yeah. because it became. Oh yeah. Don't you don't you, you guys have Lord Buckethead, right? Yes, exactly. And yeah, well, Boaty McBoatface and all this stuff. And this, but this is now bleeding into politics. I think. Oh, for sure, for yeah. sure. Yeah, I mean, they're 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 always like, um, I mean, there was there was a guy running for mayor in New York a couple of years ago who gave a, a crazy speech about how the rent is too damn high, as he as he put it, and yeah. it was the kind of thing where like you know novelty can can get you to a certain point. I think what there where there's potentially a difference with with the Yang campaign is that is that Yang is actually running a real campaign. There were um, he he had a rally in San Francisco a couple of days ago that looked like a traditional political rally you know it wasn't it wasn't a bunch of people showing up in you know jedi outfits or anything like that it was it was actual supporters yes. who who were actually excited to support him and if he can get a sort of silicon valley behind him that's quite interesting and significant isn't it 
significant and I think I, I think very interesting. I'm not in a position to name names, but I've absolutely heard whispers about pretty prominent people in Silicon Valley who are supporting him and who, for one reason or another, are not vocal about that support yet, at least. And, you know, given everything that has happened in the past year or two with regard to public perception of tech companies, you know, a, a candidate like Yang and his and his campaign staff they might not want that support to be super public because of how easy, especially if, you know, if he, if he gets, he's supposed to be in that first debate. If he makes a splash there and the, and the more seasoned political candidates start to go on the offensive about him, you know, that's, that's the sort of thing we're looking too close to Silicon Valley is, is all you're already seeing signs that that's going to be used as, as a, as a liability. That's that's very interesting because I mean, although he's a, a tech entrepreneur, he's yeah. also he also speaks to the so-called tech clash, the the sort of growing yes. revolution. Yes. Can you say a bit about how he how he speaks to that? Well, I I think that for one, he has the credentials in that he is someone who sold a company he founded and then went into the business of attempting to broaden tech innovation scope beyond Silicon Valley. I think that's powerful. He also the um, this is the, to protect this is to protect normal people as it were yes exactly so, oh. and and also he's extremely vocal about issues of personal digital rights like surveillance that is somewhere where you, you know he absolutely comes out on the side of of you know the the people who are being affected by the power that tech companies have what's interesting is that you see so many candidates especially on the Democratic side who are you know, really saying, you know, we need to break up big tech companies, et cetera, et cetera. His, a candidate like Yang, who has been in that world, could say, you know, yes, I get it. These are th- these issues are a serious problem. They are affecting real Americans. But at the same time, you know, breaking up these companies is is not the way to to go about it. I think that he he can speak to it from a, a position of, you know, having been there and having known that world from actually having worked in it versus, for example, a Cory Booker who has not been a tech entrepreneur. And when he speaks sort of in in favor of tech companies, people are like, yeah, well, that's because all those companies donate to you and yes. you've been sort of swayed by lobbyists. Yang can come from a position of of actually having having been there. Yes. So he can speak to the kind of neurosis and guilt of Silicon Valley. Yeah. And, and, I, and I think that's and something that... It'll be okay. Yeah, and and it, I mean, it's a matter of of how deftly he can do it. I mean, the the man's untested as candidate. His his charisma is impressive, but you know, once you know, you saw what, <laughs> you saw what happened to to Gary Johnson in 2016, and and Johnson had been governor of a state um, as a member of a major political party, but once you put him on a national stage, he he starts screwing up on TV, and um, you know, there goes yeah. the great libertarian hope. Yes, well, uh, Carolyn, it's absolutely fascinating, as always, talking to you. Um, let's speak Thank again. Thank you so much. Let's speak again before Andrew Yang is in the White House. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, thanks so much, and I'll talk to you soon. That's it for this episode. Thank you very much for listening. I'd encourage you all to go to iTunes and rate and review us, and please be as kind as you possibly can. I'd be very grateful. Also want to tell you about a new offer. If you go to spectator.co.uk forward slash voucher, you'll see that you can get a £20 John Lewis voucher if you subscribe to our 12 issues for £12 subscription offer for the magazine. That's a pretty good deal, and I would take it.